Hatihei mauri ora, e ngā mana, e ngā reo, e rangatirama. Kia ora and welcome to Māori Initiative's podcast show, Te Mangai, the Mouthpiece, in association with podcast.nz. Thanks for joining us. As each week, our guests share a part of their life's journey to Te Iratangata, improve quality of life. Kia ora. Well, what a privilege it was to spend time on the Te Takinga Marae Mōrea in Rotorua and be present to hear from the special guest Keone Morgan and his wonderful wife Kere from what was formerly known as Kualoa Ranch Oahu in Hawaii. It was wonderful to have him share his business insights during the official launch of MI or Māori Initiatives, which continues in a tradition of culture for business exchange, which was set up so many years ago as Keone Morgan explains. We'll go straight to the recording from the Te Takinga Marae and begin the journey of culture for business exchange here on Māori Initiatives, Te Mangai, the mouthpiece. Um, it's funny how life uh, does a lot of things and you don't really know what's going to happen when you open a door. And, uh, and, you know, life is full of risks and, uh, and, and, and there's an old saying that uh, what doesn't kill you makes you grow. And, uh, and so there's so many things in my life that, uh, that have uh, been a result of a risk that I was willing to take and, and, uh, uh, both personally and uh, with our business. But I just wanted to thank you again, uh, uh, Steve, uh, Denny, and Penny. Um, where's Penny? Anyway, uh, on this opportunity, and uh, and you know, best wishes with uh, Maori initiatives. Um, I'd like to go back to what I was talking about last night a little bit because uh, my fucka papa to me is uh, is, is uh, very important and. And again, um, I had mentioned that I knew that uh, I was Maori, I knew that uh, I was Tainui, but I wasn't really sure before that. But what I didn't say last night was that back in 1823, Samuel Randall uh, stole some chickens in England. And so what happened in the 1820s when you did something wrong? Boy, you're off to Australia. and. Uh, so he was on his way to Australia, and, and our family history, I'm not sure exactly how he got the good fortune to stop in Aotearoa instead of continuing to Australia, but that's how my ancestors, uh, you know, got here. So Samuel Randall had, uh, had a bunch of kids with uh, Tuhi Tuhi Terua. Hannah Randall was one of them. And Hannah Randall uh, married James Armitage. James Armitage also was from England. And uh, unfortunately for James, he was the fourth son. And the first son got all the land. And the second son went into the military. And the third son went into the clergy. But what are you going to do if you're the fourth son? You go to the colonies. And so that's why James Armitage came to New Zealand uh, early on. He ended up getting killed uh, down in Waikato uh, in the 1860s, I think it was. Uh, but he already had some kids, uh, Joe Armitage, and then Joe had Arthur, my grandfather, and uh, Arthur was the one who moved back to Hawaii in, in 1906. And he married my grandmother, who was, uh, was, was born and raised in Hawaii. So. That's my whakapapa on the, uh, on the Maori side. And uh, when I first came to New Zealand uh, in, in 2009 with Danny's father, uh, Dennis, we went to the parliament of uh, the Tainui and, and, and he was talking about 
all of the people in uh, our Lua group that were there, and uh, one of my, I could hear that they was talking about me because I heard my ancestor's name, and somebody in the uh, in the audience came up after that and and said, "Geez, uh, are you descended from Tuhi Tuhi Trua?" And I said, "Yes," and he said, "So was I," and so. I met my third cousin on that first trip here. And later he gave me our whakapapa going all the way back to Hoturoa, who was the, uh, the captain of the Tainui canoe. So it's one of those doors that you open and you just don't know what happened when you say yes to an opportunity. So it was, uh, it, it was fabulous and it's enriched my life. So anyway, let's go back to my father's side. So my father, uh, my father's side, uh, my great, great, great grandfather, uh, as Steve was mentioning and Denny was mentioning, and Dr. Garrett P. Judd was born in Paris, New York in 1803. And uh, he was a devout Christian and he wanted to be a, a missionary. Uh, but for some reason, the American Board of Foreign Missions uh, which it just started not that long before that. In fact, it didn't even start until a little after that. Uh, wouldn't accept him because for whatever reason, uh, uh, he, you know, he, he didn't qualify, his credentials weren't good enough, but luckily he was a doctor. And so he uh, applied to come to Hawaii. And, uh, and so he left uh, uh, New York in, in, in 1827. And, uh, and, and arrived in Hawaii in 1828. And uh, he practiced medicine and became a, a, a devoted uh, citizen of Hawaii. Actually, he's the first Westerner uh, to renounce his US citizenship and pledge his total allegiance to the king and the kingdom. Uh, so after practicing medicine for about 10 years, he you know, became acquainted with the king and, and became an advisor to the king. And he was an advisor in many capacities, an advisor of the Minister of Interior, Minister of Foreign Affairs, and Minister of Finance, actually. Set up the first uh, you know, accounting system for the kingdom. In fact, his, his nickname was Okoli Kala, because Okoli is your butt and Kala is money. And he sat on the treasury because that was under his chair. So anyway, a nice cute little story about Dr. Judd and uh, Dr. Judd was instrumental in, in, in helping uh, keep Hawaii independent and sovereign, uh, not being a, being a value statement, but uh, you know, obviously New Zealand was a, was, a, was a commonwealth country and there were very few countries actually in the world that, uh, that were not colonized by one uh, country or another. And so Dr. Judd was pretty instrumental in those efforts during his uh, years as a minister of the king. Uh, in fact, at one point, uh, there was a coat of arms. Uh, he, went to, he actually went with Prince's lot and Liho Liho all the way to the United States uh, and, and Paris and, and London to try to negotiate treaties. And he was uh, another uh, Hawaiian man uh, was, was doing a similar thing, uh, Timoteo Alilio. And when Timoteo actually died on the way back, there was a coat of arms that was made for Timoteo that was, uh, was, uh, was basically uh, um, a, treaty, uh, a coat of arms that was given to us and basically it says Eho'umaluia, uh, which means it shall be upheld. And it was uh, the, uh, a representative, representation of Belgium, France, England, and the United States. 
to, and it holds up the Hawaiian flag, and so that's our family coat of arms. And so, so that just starts our history in Hawaii, and, uh, and, and when private land ownership was created in 1848 through uh, and, and, uh, the decree and, and, uh, uh, you know, by, the, by the king and the, uh, the, the legislature, uh, the king owned uh, the, the Ahupua'a of Kualoa, and, uh, and so it was uh, 622 acres of some of the most sacred land on Oahu, and uh, it was the king's personal land, and he sold it to Dr. Judd in 1850. And so that was the beginning of our family's stewardship of this land. Uh, so his son, he had a bunch of kids, and one of his sons was Charles Judd. And Charles Judd ended up buying the neighbor Ahupua'a of Ka'a'ava and Hakipu'u. So each, each uh, land division in Hawaii is called an Ahupua'a. So by 1880, uh, our family had three Ahupua'a totaling 4,000 acres uh, on, in, on, in, on Oahu. And that's the beginning of uh, what is now Kualoa Ranch. And, uh, and, and now we, we have maintained this land ever since. And, uh, and, and so that's, uh, that's kind of a description. And, and, and not only did that happen, but uh, Charles Judd was also Chamberlain to King Kalakaua. So both Dr. Judd and his son were, were devoted uh, servants to the kingdom and the Ali'i of, uh, of Hawaii. So Kualoa, I mentioned that it was sacred. It was a uh, it was a very sacred place. Uh, I think we listened uh, to uh, who was saying about Pu Honua O Honau Nau. Penny, his wife, was from there, and so uh, Kualoa was also a Pu Honua, a place of refuge, a place where people could come and. Be, be absolved of their sins, and, and, uh, and so that was one of the aspects of, uh, of the, the history and the legacy of the area of Kualoa. It was also a, uh, a training ground of chiefs. It was where, where young elite would come and they'd get trained in the art of diplomacy and, and, and leadership and, and war. It was also a place that was dedicated to Lono. Uh, it was a place of the annual Makahiki, uh, there's other numerous legends about Kualoa that kind of speak to its importance uh, uh, and going all the way back to the mid-1700s when, uh, when the king of Oahu, Kahahana, was, was, was uh, approached by the, then the supreme king of Hawaii, Kahikili of Maui, to give him Kualoa in, in trying to broker a peace treaty. And, uh, and, and so... Kaupulupulu, which is one of the supreme uh, kahuna of the time, said, do not give Kualoa because Kualoa is the sovereignty of the, the island and it wasn't yours to give. So I mention all of this just to, just to kind of lay the groundwork that Kualoa is, a, is an important place. And so when our family became the stewards, it uh, carries with it a significant responsibility. So... Our, we went through Dr. Judd, we went to Charles Judd, and, uh, and my great-grandmother, one of Charles's uh, um, uh, four kids, was uh, Julie Judd, uh, and she married a, a guy, Swansea, and just luck would have it, uh, she ended up buying out her, four, her three siblings. So Kualoa Ranch, instead of having six or seven hundred owners right now, uh, because of... Uh, Julie Judd's uh, vision and, and decisions 
became the sole owner of, of uh, Kualoa Ranch, and now she only had two kids, one of which was my great uh, aunt, and she didn't have any kids. And so, again, just uh, we're all fortunate in whatever uh, aspects, and we don't have any choices of our kupuna or anything, but, uh, but luckily, as I'm transitioning into what is going on with Kualoa Ranch now and, and how we've been able to transform uh, what was a land poor, a lot of land, no money uh, organization into a thriving business is partly due to the heroic efforts of our kupuna resisting the temptations to sell and develop, but also into consolidating ownership when they could and, uh, and, and which makes decisions easier sometimes. So by the time it got to the, uh, the, the 1930s and 40s, it was, a, it was a, a very closely held family company. My, my, my grandmother, my great aunt, and my father, and my aunt, my uncle, they were, those are the owners. And um, make it through the, the 1940s, and uh, you know the, war, the, the military took over a third of the place during the war, put a big military installation there. They turned it back to us after the war. Uh, this was after the Depression. Uh, the Depression basically sucked all of the money out of the family and, and, the, and the war. And so you keep on going forward. And, uh, and then, you know, I was born in 1956. Uh, and, 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 you know, I was a little kid like any kid. I was the last of five of, uh, in my family. And, and, uh, and you know, happy-go-lucky, what are you going to do in life? You have no idea. And uh, I ended up going off to college. And uh, I'd started working actually in 1971 uh, in, at the ranch, um, partly because it was an easy choice. Dad, can I work? Okay, you go to work, 14 years old. Uh, so I started working 1971 at 14 during the summers there. So I really knew nothing else in terms of work. Uh, and then after I got to college and I, what do I want to do? I don't know. So uh, I'll take economics as a major because it seemed like a major that was applicable to everything in life and I still believe that that a good understanding of economics is is a good foundation to understand all kinds of things political social and uh, and, and business-wise and it was halfway through my my college years that uh, that I asked my father if I could make a career at the ranch and he said yes uh, we had about eight employees and we're losing money so, the, um, I remember how I was uh, ambitious, uh, not very smart, but, um, and, you know, the first venture that we, you know, I figured, okay, I know it all now, I'm, 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 I'm getting my feet on the ground, and, and boy, you know, all we had was a cattle ranch and a tropical flower operation, so, so I said, you know, I met some people, and leather leaf fern was the thing to do, and so, Dad, I think we should go into Leatherleaf Fern and, and uh, let's build a three-acre shade house and, and, uh, and I think this will help us grow our company. And, uh, and so 1981, that's when I became the manager of uh, Kualoa Ranch and, and our first thing was spending $100,000 on a three-acre shade house where we bought somebody's Leatherleaf Fern business. Well, three or four years later, we went through that whole thing and it was a failure. So I'm lucky that I didn't get the rug pulled out from under me. So that was my first failure, I suppose, I suppose in business. And, uh, but 
I remember the meeting with my, I was the first one in, in my family and my generation to be on the board of directors. And so I had my grandmother, my great aunt, my mother, my father, my aunt, and my uncle. And I remember the meeting that they said, you know, we don't want to sell us uh, this land. We don't want to develop it. And we do want to operate it ourselves. You know, we don't want to be a passive landlord. And so, you know, you screwed up once, but <laughs> we'll give you another chance. So what are we going to do? So the choice was, okay, you've got to figure out some business that was, had, a, had a growth potential that could take the company and, and to, to, to generate uh, you know, profits and everything that would, uh, would sustain it. So I met some people in the visitor industry, and, uh, and in 1985, uh, we formed a new company. It was a subsidiary company and, uh, to market uh, outdoor activities to the Japanese tourists. So our first day of, uh, of business was April 1st, 1985, and we had 23 um, uh, customers. And, uh, and, and, you know, everything starts slow, and uh, so we started slow. And we were a one-stop shop for activities for Japanese customers. And so we had, uh, and we had one customer, actually, so to speak, and, uh, and the customer was the Japanese travel agent. And so our consumer uh, was the Japanese visitor, but we didn't sell to the, Jap the consumer, we sold to the travel agent. So we'll sell you a package uh, for, you know, the consumer will buy a package for 100 bucks, but we'll pay the travel agent 75 and they take 25% commission and that's, that's how we got started. Um, but we were a one-stop shop for activities. We had a helicopter, jet skis, a gun range, scuba diving, Hobie cat, horseback rides, ATV rides. We had, we had it all. It was, it, was, it was fabulous. The Japanese were here for an average of 4.2 days or something. They were the highest spending market. So strategically, it was an important thing to do. And one of the lessons I learned from that is you need to, you, you know, it didn't, it, it felt like great from a business perspective. You know, we, I think we all have different facets of, uh, of our, our being and everything that, uh, that, uh, that you look at. And one is what you feel in your na'au and, and what's, what's good. And another one's what's, what's going on in your head and, and uh, na'au is your gut. And, well, it didn't feel like this was a forever business for us uh, to, to be doing jet skis and all this other stuff. From that survival point of view, it was a strategic and it was, it was an important decision to do. And so, and then you get heady with success and we went from 23 people to 200 something people in the next eight or 10 years. And I figured like I was the smartest guy in the world and, and, uh, and we were making good money and, and, uh, and new doors started to open. Uh, I, got to, I got invited uh, to join an organization called YPO, and when somebody asked me if I wouldn't want to jo join YPO, I said, well, what's YPO? And it's an organization uh, called Young Presidents Organization, which is just a bunch of presidents of companies that did $5 million or more, and we just broke the $5 million mark. And so, and the the what they describe it as is the, uh, you know, uh, basically idea exchange, support and idea exchange. And so this joining of YPO 
was my next expansion of my life, you know, because not only do you meet fascinating people, and you just keep on learning. You learn all kinds of different things, and I've had friends in YPO ever since then. So this business is growing, everything's going great. Uh, of course, nothing lasts forever. Um, the next thing is, is the, you know, the SARS epidemic and, and uh, the uh, Gulf War happened. A lot of different things happened and, it was, uh, and, and our business started to go down and, uh, and, and we ended up losing money. Uh, we tried to chase market share by dropping our prices, being more, you know, more of a deal for everybody. And, and, uh, but we still started to go down and over a period from about the mid-90s into of course, 2001 is a disaster, and, and the recovery from that, uh, we lost millions of dollars. And so we went from a zero cash and a lot of land to, oh, our cash is building, and now we can start to invest. And just now then we started to eat up cash. In the middle of all of that, uh, you throw in some family dynamics. And so the family dynamics were interesting everybody who deals with any group it's a it's an interesting thing when you're dealing with family and especially in my situation my father uh, was the president of the company he was the oldest son and, and so he and my grandmother got along great my my aunt actually got along great but my uncle who's a little younger always felt like he was you know the the, the odd man out and so my uncle was saying, well, John, he doesn't know what he's doing. I think we should throw him out. And, and uh, so a, a, a third of the family was going, we need to get you out. And I, I had what I thought was a vision to succeed, you know, to, to take the company out of this, which was incurring debt to actually build facilities at the ranch, which uh, Steve and Denny have seen. At the, and so, but that was, uh, that was kind of an interesting hurdle to go through and, and, a, and a lesson in diplomacy that you I think you know very much about you know when you deal with people and and you know you don't always need to win every argument and you need to be able to think win-win and have allow everybody to save face and and uh, and so you know I was able to navigate my my way through some of these family dynamics and in 1999 we actually approved while we're losing all this money uh, our family board approved uh, uh, the expansion of our facilities at the, at the ranch uh, so that we could, instead of just being a destination where you did this, 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 we started to realize that we need to create an identity as a, as an, a, a place to go rather than a, just stuff that you can do in some nondescript area. So that was one of our business objectives, is to create an identity of, of who we were and, and you know, what, what Kualoa stood for, instead of just horses and ATVs and helicopters and all of that. So at the same time, we realized that the model that we had, Japanese travel agents selling a high liability product that wasn't good enough for us and, and we needed to broaden our risk and we also wanted to, to do something that was actually more appropriate for our land and uh, we had sacred land, we had land that was important, uh, we had land that was just uh, incredibly beautiful and so we did the first of a bunch of branding studies which was okay, you know, what's the best thing for us, what's the best thing for our land and uh, what's the best thing that we can market, what's the best thing that we can sell to the consumer. And uh, so 
we ended up dropping a bunch of the different activities that we, did, we thought didn't fit with really the essence of what we were. And so we dropped the jet skis and we dropped the scuba diving and we dropped the helicopters and we ended up dropping the, uh, the gun range. Even though that some of these things were very lucrative, the gun range was probably the most lucrative thing we ever had. You buy a bullet for three cents and you sell it for a dollar and it's, it's pretty good. But as it turns out, you know, 20 years later, practically, that's where the marae is going to go, is where the gun range used to be. Maybe not exactly there, but close by. And uh, so, so that was one of the first uh, things where we looked internally and we said, okay, this, you know, what, what, what really is going to take this, uh, this, this company forward? And uh, so that was when we did our first rebranding. And, and, uh, and so we decided it was, uh, was important to focus on the culture, the stewardship, uh, and the aloha spirit of our staff, because we have an amazing staff, and, uh, and, and, and the history of, and the culture of Hawaii. So, and that, that started to work. And, uh, and so when we opened a new visitor center, as we called it back then, and we still call it that, uh, in 2004, our business started to grow slowly. So we went from losing a couple of million dollars to, okay, now we're getting a little better. And, and, and since, uh, since we did that introspection, and, uh, and, and the rebranding, we've never looked back. It's, it's been almost double-digit growth every, every year for ever since 2004. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, parts to all of this. Uh, through it all, you met my wife, Carrie. She uh, started an education program in the mid-'80s. Uh, that's what she went to college for, and she's, uh, she's great uh, at, at, with kids. And we thought that, you know, since we're the fortunate custodians of this amazing property, we need to give back and we need to do things that'll, that'll help our community. So she started the education programs in, in about 86 or 87. And, and today we service somewhere between 12 and 14 or 15,000 kids a year uh, in, our, in our education programs. At the same time, uh, we're concentrating on besides activities, uh, you know, and some things from, and we're, we're all partly here uh, to, to think about business development. Uh, you know, a lot of what I consider is, uh, is, is you know, a truism in, in business analysis and everything is who exactly is your customer? What do they want? What's their lifestyle? Uh, and so when we looked at things that we we're good at, and luckily we had a practical monopoly on uh, ATV rides, well, if somebody wants to go an all-terrain vehicle ride, they may not really care where it is. And so that's not a destination attraction thing. And so from a branding perspective, you know, well, we, we had the only ATV ride in Oahu, so, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a cool or answer or why and I, you know, just uh, so, Horses, ATV, and, and now our zip line, we know what, what sells that is a person's desire to have an experience where you're doing something like that. But we knew that wasn't going to be uh, really the key to our success. The key to our success, as I mentioned earlier, was how do you develop an identity for Kualoa Ranch that, uh, that, that, that says to the consumer who knows nothing about you, Hey, I want to go there. That sounds cool, and uh, and so we had to develop a a, a, a brand and identity of of what Kualoa Ranch was. 
so and then you know what is what are people going to do uh, and so that's when we started to develop more of the tours as i mentioned it's 4000 acres three ahupua'a three mountains and so you really can't see it all by taking a drive and going in one direction and so over the years and i'm kind of fast forwarding we'll get to you know questions he's going to prompt me in a minute we developed a bunch of different tours so now we have four different tours of the ranch that are each an hour and a half long and uh and so they're narrated tours which appeals to what we consider the broadest part of the market uh, we used to be Japanese young active and so that's a pretty narrow marketing focus and now we're doesn't matter if you're from Iceland or from Russia and, and we're actually very strong in the in the English speaking Chinese Korean and Japanese English is our, 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 our American is our, our biggest market Japanese is our second but Korean and, and Chinese are, are close behind but the broadest market that we could see was people who just want to learn and get entertained and so we, entertainment is an important thing but uh but we want to be able to have people come over there experience kualoa and go away going oh, wow that was great and part of the part of the strategy there is is, is is how do you create an emotional response in your customer and uh one of the analogies I like to talk about is when you go to a movie, and uh, whether it's a scary movie, a tearjerker, or a funny movie, or whatever, it's never by chance that you shed a tear, or laugh, or get scared. Somebody is choreographing every aspect of the, of the emotional thing. And, uh, and so our goal is to create emotions in our guests too, and a lot of it is around uh, those feelings of awe, you know, because we have a beautiful place, the feelings of uh, stewardship, because people really, doesn't matter if they actively practice wanting to care for the world, they like stewards, they like um, people who are doing the right thing. And so part of our mission is to be role models as stewards of our land. Um, and speaking of missions, I'm dropping, going all over the place, you know, not only have we looked at branding throughout the years, but we've looked at mission statements and uh, to try to keep a kind of our, ourselves grounded and to keep, you know, a, a vision high that, you know, that is, is always kind of worth kind of going back to. And so we sort of, we wrote our first mission statement that included the stewardship of the land and all of that, and it was kind of long. Uh, and then, you know, we heard from the experts that, boy, it's better to shorten your mission statement, make it memorable, and, and so you can actually remember it and, and say it. So, and, and I believe all of that. It's all worthwhile stuff. I mean, you hear a bunch of different things, and, and, uh, and, and it's also something that it, it, you can rally the troops around. Everybody can understand it. So now, our mission statement is to enrich people's lives by preserving our land and celebrating its history. So... That's something that we had, thank you, we, we, we had it more about what we aspire to do in terms of taking care of the land, but then we thought about that's not good enough. Let's try to do something bigger than just taking care of our land, which is kind of an inward focus. This is our kuleana, and we did it more aspirational, which is enriching others. And so we hope, now we, we, we I think, 
2017, we hosted a little over 500,000 customers at the ranch. And uh, if we can reach people, and if we can get them to emotionally feel that wherever they live, if it's Saskatchewan or Peking or whatever, Beijing, you know, if they can go back and, and, and spread aloha and, and do some stewardship in their own kuleana, in their own place, you know, if we can enrich people's lives, that's what, that's what, uh, that's what our aspiration is. And, and uh, so that was the, that was kind of digressing. So we have these four different tours. Again, and when we're looking at it from a business perspective, you know, you, you want to know your customer, what is going to attract your customer, what are the actual channels, you know, there's the, we segment all of our customers, you know, and okay, this is a, you know, 50% of our customers now come from travel agents, 50% are direct, so we have to pay a commission on the 50%, 50% of our customers are Asian. 50% are English speaking. It's a different 50%, you know, because we have travel agents over here, we have, uh, you know, travel agents over there. But it's really important in business to segment your customers, know exactly as much as you can what motivate, what, what, what triggers their purchase decision process. You know, is it the wife? Is it the travel agent? Is it is it the fact that they want to do this or that or the other thing? And, and uh, so all of these aspects are, are really important. You know, I've had a lot of different uh, um, uh, failures. Uh, the first one was the leather leaf. We, we tried a hiking. We tried a authentic Hawaiian evening show. I don't know if it was going when you were there. Uh, it didn't sell. We didn't do our homework right. Uh, because what one of the things that we didn't realize, what actually we did realize, we just we thought we'd give it a go anyway, is that the competition in the marketplace in the evening is huge, you know. All of the cruise ships, which are thousands and thousands and thousands of seats, all of the luau shows, you know, the, 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 the marketplace is saturated with things to do where everybody's paying huge commissions, actually, in a non-differentiated market like cruise ship uh, dinner shows and luau shows, Travel agents actually pay 40% commission. So that was really tough for us to compete in. And so we tried it for two and a half years and then we just said, okay, we're, we're, we're not going to lose money on this anymore. But that just goes to show the power of understanding the marketplace that you're in, really understanding the customer, really understanding the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, how they're going to get to you and everything. And, and, and that's one of the advice for around here is there's a lot of people that will say, hey, I can bring you this so many people, you know, just, but whose money is at stake is the most important thing because they, you know, somebody can pretend to know that they'll give you business and then you spend a couple million dollars to develop the product and then they don't show up because you didn't quite understand the whole process of getting the customers. So, so anyway, that's a digression into that part of the marketplace. Um, getting back to what we do, so we have four different uh, tours of the property because property's big and we got a bunch of different places to go. And each one of these tours is scalable so that it becomes a relatively big business opportunity. So. On one of the tours, uh, and we charge retail now is forty-five ninety-five. We'll do 
you know, it's not unusual to do 500 people a day uh, in this one tour. And uh, because we, we buy old school buses, we take all the windows out and we drive up, up the valley and we do stuff and we show them where all of the movies are filmed. Uh, again, for those of you who don't know, we've had over two dozen major motion pictures uh, uh, filmed at the ranch. They're filming one right, right now, um, starring Ben Affleck and uh, Oscar, whatever his name is, and he just he's the new Star Wars guy. Uh, and, uh, and then the original Jurassic Park was filmed there, the last Jurassic World was filmed there, the next Jurassic World uh, that's gonna come out in June was filmed there, 51st dates, again, two dozen major motion pictures are filmed there. Our customers absolutely love that. So getting back to the tours, each one of the tours kind of features uh, nature, Hawaiian culture, agriculture, and, uh, and everything else that we, we can you know, think of. And we keep on thinking kind of like Disney, if you've ever been to Disney or a place like that, they invest in the experience from the parking lot all the way through. So if you're standing 28 minutes in line, you're looking at something that's cool, you know, oh, that's neat, you know, so that nobody gets bored. So right now we're in the process uh, on one of our tours, our most, uh, most in-demand tour, we're, we're creating a pre-contact Hawaiian uh, plant area that's gonna be about five acres. Uh, and and uh, so we, we, another thing that we did on another uh, tour is we're trying to talk about the importance of the Hawaiian religious history. And so you've been there. Uh, we basically built the first heiau in 200 years. Uh, we got uh, 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 one of the most renowned dry stack rock wall experts in Hawaii, brought him in from the Big Island. And uh, through Olohe Mitchell Eli's blessing and talking to other tupuna, uh, we got it blessed and, and created. It's a, it's a relatively big uh, heiau, and its uh, name is Pa'imi Na'au'au, which it means a place to seek knowledge and enlightenment. And it's right at the base of the cliff, overlooking all of the Kualoa area. And, and that was not only to honor the, 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 the historic and cultural uh, Hawaiian uh, past, but also it was another thing for our visitors to see. They don't expect to see it, we're doing, uh, doing taro lo'i restorations for the same way, and we can afford now, instead of doing something the size of this room, we'll do something 10 times the size of this room because the impact is greater on our guests so that they'll go, wow, look at this. And, and that's what we want, is we want that memory and we want that person to go away going, you wouldn't believe this place, and, and, and so, and the same thing with, uh, with agriculture. We're expanding agriculture as fast as we possibly can. Our, our newest uh, venture is a piggery. It's a, I think it's 60 by 100 and something where it's gonna house uh, 20 sows, will produce 500 pigs a year. It's made out of 100% recycled materials. One of them is the, the new rock movie, Jumanji. Uh, they, they actually built the whole thing and, and it was kind of ugly and we tore it down but instead of just throwing it away we took this big structure and we rebuilt it and uh, and then uh, so now that's going to be our Korean natural farming piggery uh, which is it, it doesn't use it doesn't make any smell 
We're, we got sheep now going. Uh, we're, we've got a growing chicken. We have oysters. We have shrimp. Uh, we have tilapia. Yes. <laughs> so all of that, uh, and the agriculture actually costs us money. We're still, our, our goal is not to lose money, but we're losing money now on agriculture. We want to make money on everything that we do because that's what uh, it's better. Not only is it better for the company in the bottom line, but it's better for the employees. They feel better if they're making a profit. And, and we see a value-added potential not only in products, whether it's vodka made out of breadfruit, because we've got about two or three hundred breadfruit trees planted now, or, you know, oysters is something good, but we're looking at, uh, we're looking at all kinds of different products. Uh, to, to expand our agriculture. But the most promising for us in, in ag is foodie tourism, you know, culinary tourism. So our, our, one of our next uh, tours that we're bringing out is gonna be basically a $120 hour and a half tour ending in lunch. And so where we produce everything on the menu. And so uh, that's geared toward a, a segment of the market who likes foodie tourism. And, uh, and so uh, another part, instead of just, uh, we're, we're now, we're also, we have a tour now, it's also $119 uh, that's, that's just on movies. And uh, we're gonna, we're, a, a new tour for us is uh, the craze around here that you guys have seen, mountain biking. So there's a thing called the electric assist mountain biking now. And so we're, we're creating a seven and a half mile trail that's graded and graveled uh, that we can, we can broaden the market out. I think there's a very small market of mountain bike enthusiasts. There's a wide market of people who would like to experience the art outdoors in a, rel in a moderately athletic way. And so we don't want to appeal to the mountain bike enthusiasts. We just want to appeal to somebody who enjoys the outdoors and likes to get their body moving. And so, again, that's segmenting the market, really clearly defining the market so that if we spend two or $300,000 making this trail, it's not a, a throwaway in terms of an investment. So, um, other things, getting back to different parts of the, uh, the, the, the business and the challenges. Um, I talked a little bit about family. Uh, you know, another thing, our family's our family. You know, they don't, they're not necessarily the biggest experts in Hawaiian culture. They're not the biggest expert in business. They're not, and so one of the things that we did uh, 25 years ago was actually bring outsiders onto our family board of directors. One, it got rid of some of the emotional family dynamic that was in the family. <laughs> Because it was embarrassing for the family if they started to get, you know, into the nitty-gritty in front of business leaders. And luckily through YPO, I met all these business leaders and I brought them onto the board. In fact, the, the owner of the Outrigger Hotel chain was a, is a friend and, and so he became a board member and, and uh, the head of our conservation district uh, uh, was on the board. And so we picked a couple of people that were heavy into conservation heavy into uh, conservation and agriculture, heavy into Hawaiian culture and in general business. And so they got on our board and, and at one point there was more outsiders than in family on the board. And all of family ended up loving it because they could, they could shed their kind of distrust of you know, family and, and uh, just because the 
family's family. So that was a great kind of a thing. And now the family really appreciates the fact that he, these outsiders are there because, uh, because and for me, it's, it, was a, it was a great, uh, you know, I welcomed it not only because I wanted to dilute the family dynamic, but, you know, as a CEO, you need to invite accountability. You need to test your own theories. You know, you don't want to spend money. You don't want to do things that aren't well thought out. And it's much better to get yourself accountable and vulnerable to somebody else's uh, 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 input and review. So that has been extremely helpful. And, and, and now, actually, it's been 10 years uh, that, that uh, I just volunteered to write a strategic plan that I submit to our board of directors now. And so I do an annual update to our strategic plan that I invite criticism and, and, uh, and everything. And so actually, I, I brought that. I'd like to read a little bit of it, uh, just the first two pages. And it's, it's, it's not exhaustive, but it's, you know, one of the things that as leaders, we all try to do things to, to help ourselves grow. And uh, one of the things I did a long time ago was when somebody asked if I'd want to be on their board of directors, and usually it's a not-for-profit board, you know, I said yes, since so I've been on a number of not-for-profit boards. I'm on the, I've been on the state tourism board for the last 10 years, but, uh, but it was smaller not-for-profits that gave me a glimpse of several different types of strategic plans. And so actually I learned the strategic planning, you know, from these other experiences where you open a door and you don't know what you're going to learn, but hey, let's go through this door and figure it all out. So here's, um, here's an excerpt from the, the most recent update in February of this year. So since 2004, the year the Visitor Center building was opened, the company has experienced significant growth. And again, the audience is the board of directors here. And, and also my management team. Um, over the years, since the first strategic plan was prepared in 2008, management and the board of directors have updated and reviewed the plan. The plan serves as a guide for the company to, to refine its brand and grow the business. Many of the strate strategies and tactics in the original strategic plan have been implemented. Some are in progress and others are still opportunities for the future. Management feels that it's good to periodically review and update the plan and present the updated plan to the Board of Directors for its comments and guidance. This, this strategic plan update is intended for that purpose. Also used as a guide in planning, the following is the company, company's mission, vision, and values. So I had mentioned earlier, the mission, our mission in, is to enrich people's lives by preserving our land and celebrating its history. Our vision is to be a role model as stewards of the land by preserving, protecting, and enhancing its natural beauty and culture while developing educational, recreational, and agricultural enterprises compatible with the environment and, econ and maximizing economic return. So we try to capture it all into one thing. For the values, uh, we have four values listed. There's a lot more, that, uh, but we don't want to be exhaustive. Aloha and uh, showing love, caring, and compassion for one another. Malama, fulfilling our kuleana responsibilities by practicing good stewardship of our resources. 
Lao Lima is working together towards common goals, and Po'okela is striving for excellence in all that we do. By having these mission, vision, and values articulated, our company will be better equipped to continue to grow our business, continue to be responsible stewards of this extremely unique land, enrich the lives of our employees, guests, and community, and fulfill a kuleana that is ours. So then I go into a bunch of different goals and strategies, and the primary goal from a business perspective, and I didn't, I'm, I'm not gonna, I didn't share all of it, but uh, so goal number one is to continue to develop Kualoa Ranch as a must-visit destination attraction, increase the visitor spending and profits. In order to accomplish this goal, we'll employ several different strategies and tactics. Strategy number one, so you start off with goals and you go to the strategies to continue to develop Kualoa's brand, which our new brand, the way we describe it, is Kualoa Ranch, the world's most famous private nature reserve where legends are made. I'll, I'll get into that. <laughs> I'll get into how we got that later. <laughs> uh, what's that? <laughs> so actually, how we, how we got that is, uh, Again, we've been looking at the whole brand issue for many years, well over a decade, and you know we've been known as Kualoa Ranch for a long time, you know, 100 years or so. But as our business grew, and you know, a brand is important not only for the customers but your own self-identity, you know, and it really needs to be a promise to everybody who who you affect, and uh, and so so Kualoa Ranch. It's kind of limiting. You expect cows and what else? You know, you don't really know. And so, so we hired this uh, consultant actually from uh, from he lived in Sweden, uh, and uh, he, I met him through my contact at Hawaii Visitors and Convention Bureau. Again, you don't know what you're going to get when you open a door. And so I got on this board, and I got one of the guy who works for them on our board. And when I asked him about uh, you know branding, he said contact Steve Wright. And so. Steve, after interviewing all the upper management and other people, came up with this idea of a nature reserve. Because a nature reserve is basically an organization that is sole purpose is to preserve nature. And that's what we're all about. And, uh, and so, so we're a private nature reserve because we're not funded by the public. We don't accept any, uh, any, any other funding. But we're also uh, the world's most famous, uh, and we can make that claim. And so it's one of those things that if you can claim something legitimately, why not? And so since we've had probably 20 billion views of, of all of the movies, because uh, everybody who's ever seen Jurassic Park seen Kualoa. Everybody who's ever seen any advertisement for Hawaii Visitors and Convention Bureau seen Kualoa. 51st dates and all of these things, so we can legitimately claim that we're the most famous private nature reserve. And then we tried to honor our culture by talking about the legends. And so when it comes back to the sacredness and the, and the cultural history, legends are, have clearly been made there forever. And, uh, and, and uh, how we apply that looking forward is now if uh, half a million people come over there 
and you bring your, your grandkids and your grandkids have a good time and, and, and you all have a good time as a family, memories eventually get you know, embedded in your mind and, and, and as we all know from the legends of our own Tupuna, uh, you know, Kane was, was actually a person way back then. And, and so we make the claim that, uh, that we're still creating legends uh, in people's minds. And so that's the genesis of our, of our brand tagline and all of that. And, uh, but again, it's all strategic to, to, to not only get more customers, but to get buy-in from our community as well as our employees. And it's, it's, it's worked an amazing, uh, amazingly well. I mean, we have an amazing commun uh, community of employees. As my wife mentioned, we have over 300 people. They actually love coming to work. They love each other. They love sharing the land with, uh, with, uh, with the guests. And, and uh, so it's, it's, been a, it's been an incredible uh, kind of win-win with everybody. So again, and, uh, as far as our uh, strat strategic plan, continuing to develop Kulo's brand, and the brand is based on four main pillars, uh, the stunning and iconic natural beauty of the ranch property, the Hawaiian history, uh, culture and values, the unique story of Kulo Ranch, its history, its Hollywood connection, its commitment to agriculture, and the dedicated stewardship of the land by the owners and employees, and then the fourth one is the warm aloha and Hawaiian style of hospitality exhibited by the employees. And again, we have this amazing piece of property, but invariably the most common uh, feedback that we get is, wow, the staff is amazing. I think. Oh, I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. <laughs> so, Incredible. because nobody gets to visit uh, and, and experience Kualoa Ranch without an employee. You know, that's how we make our money. We're not, we're not going to open up uh, the doors. People can't walk around and do anything on their own. And so we need to provide. And so we, you know, we go through a great process of, uh, of, of uh, I think last year our HR department said that, uh, that you know, we had like 1,400 applicants and uh, for 150 positions. So, so, it's, uh, so we do a, 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 a big effort in trying to get the right uh, people. So those, that's our goal, that's our strategy. And so I go all the way down to the tactics level because how are you going to do all of this stuff? And so this is not meant to be exhaustive, but this is meant to just train our brains to think that nothing happens by just thinking about it. You actually have to do stuff. And so I, I, I go to this level of detail just to, just to kind of discipline the thought process. And so some of the tactics are hire more people to care for and continue to improve the land directly related to budget. Okay, we're gonna stick more people. We got another land manager position for 60,000 bucks a year posted right now. The more well cared for and aesthetic the landscape is, the more productive it will be and rewarding it will be for our guests. So that's one tactic. Another tactic, hire more Hawaiian language cultural, uh, no, no, develop more Hawaiian language cultural and other exhibits where customers congregate uh, so that we can add more value from a cultural perspective. Another one, continue to upgrade the tour depots uh, and experience and exhibits and features on the tours. Talked about the pre-contact Hawaiian village that is 
So everything that we ever do should be tied to one of these tactics. And so it's kind of a cross-balance thing. It's a cross-checking. Uh, cross Continually upgrade the tour scripts to focus on telling stories to evoke an emotional response in the guests and facilitate the three main relationships. And the three main relationships we talk about are the guide to the guest, to the guest to the place, and the guests to each other. And so we, we consciously realize that we need to focus on those relationships to ma maximize the value of the guest experience. And then promote and feature the Hollywood films and TV shows that have already been filmed at the ranch more prominently on some specific tours because we didn't do a good job. And then improve different parts of the property to attract filmmakers, such as making a waterfall. So, you know, we've had a lot of stuff filmed there. That's not good enough. How, what are we going to do if in the future? Because what is in the past is in the past. We can't rest on that one. So we're going to build another waterfall. We got one already. Uh, and then continue to invest in employee recruitment, training, and welfare, and expand our guest experience department. And uh, and you know, that's another budget item. We're going to you know expect to hire another guy in that department for seventy or eighty thousand bucks a year. Strategy two, uh, develop and improve high capacity and high price quality tours uh, and activities to help broaden the market base and increase the revenue received per visitor and per seat of available inventory. So again, and, and we got more strategies, more tactics, more goals and all of that. So I just wanted to share a little bit about kind of the discipline that we use when we're looking at the business expansion. So I'm sure you're... <laughs> Go ahead. I would like to just share one story. Um, so when we took uh, Gray Theodore with us uh, up, uh, what was that? Gosh, um, just seven months ago. Uh, Penny, Denny, and myself, we just felt uh, we felt something on the Fenua. We were uh, just resting on the land, and uh, it didn't go away when we came back. And so we had a cut of care, and we felt oh, went to talk to Gray, and then. And then we just all witnessed that Grace, we should take Gray up to spend some time uh, on the land. And, you know, Matua Gray's 84, so we had to look after him. Anyway, so we took him up there, and uh, we were just one of the houses that uh, Kioni put us up in. We, I'm trying to get it right. So we're just there and um, you, some of the boys, some of your workers are, are just out in the garden every day. Just working the garden is their full-time job. And um, they just come up. This, what was it, like a box of food or something? Eh? We found some, some of the vegetables were there for us while we were staying and they just turned up. And, um, and then they came over and they sang some songs and taught us some Hawaiian songs and we taught them some Māori songs. It was great. <laughs> hey, bro. And then um, the third day, I mean, you don't know any of this. <laughs> he doesn't know any of this. The third day, one of the gardeners just comes up before work with a, a whole whakapapa of the entire, of the Pacific. Real tapu, beautiful. Um, he brought it in before work and rolled it out in front of us. Um, we've all got a copy of it. And it was the whakapapa of the Pacific Nations and the connections uh, back to Hawaii and around the whole Pacific Rim. Uh, incredible 
deep work in. He said, look, just wanted to honour, you know, having you here with us. And, um, you know, Mato Gray, I mean, we all cried and celebrated. <laughs> and this gentleman's name is Leonard. And uh, he's just one of your bro, one of your employees and a uh, younger man with him. And uh, so it just completely blew us away. So that's the calibre that uh, Keone is speaking to. Yeah, whatever you're doing is good. Because, <laughs> oh, uh, where? It had a huge impact. Ooh. Oh, look, is there anyone else who'd like to kind of respond to anything that you've heard that uh, maybe just encouraging? How do you get the assessment of the customer? Like when you said you assist the customer, identify the customer as vital. Yeah. So how do you, their purchase decision. If you're talking about a cruise ship coming into Gisborne, um, fully understanding, you, you understand the customer. They're somebody who buys passage on a cruise ship. That's relatively simple. Uh, their profile could be, you know, 60 to 85 years old or whatever, probably largely non-athletic. And so in other words, you can profile a cruise ship customer relatively easy. So profiling the customer is one thing, figuring out what they're doing now, and, and you know, because, uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, but if the cruise ship lands on a Tuesday, uh, and then they've got all day, and then it leaves Tuesday night at 9.30, that's data. And so understanding that customer is also understanding what the customer does, uh, and, and, uh, and so, and then what is the customer doing right now? Because they're not, st they're not stopping in Gisborne and not doing anything. They've got, they're selling stuff, they're doing stuff. And so if you want to get that particular customer, uh, then you just have to completely understand who the customer is and what they're doing right now. And then you've got to provide uh, this, that you got to, I don't like the you got to part, but, um, <laughs> uh, figure out from your own sales strategy point of view, you know, what you're going to do to get that business away from somebody else because they're already doing something. It's not like they're, you know, they're not just waiting for something to do. An example of that is uh, for us, the Circle Island Tour business was an important target customer. Very low spending for us, you know, we're, 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 our, our average spend per person is relatively high. A, a, a full day customer for us doing... A, ATVs and two tours and lunch is, you know, $149 or something like that. So that's a high thing. If, if somebody comes for one tour, it's $45.95. Unless we comes through a travel agent, then we'll pay them a commission. But the cruise ship uh, and the, 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 what we call a Circle Island tour, that, that's a customer that's sitting in Waikiki saying, I don't have a car. I want to see the island. I'll go buy a product that goes around the island on a narrated tour on a 57-passenger motor coach, and somebody's going to tell me what I'm looking at. So that's a profile of a customer, as, and we call it a Circle Island Tour customer. There's probably a dozen products out there that that customer can choose. Then we look at the itinerary and say, what's included in this particular tour? And so if something is included, then you can kind of compete to, to do that. And so 
one thing that was included in one type of uh, Circle Island tour was something called the Dole Train. And so, because if you want to, if you want to, if you want to look at that uh, passenger uh, cruise ship passenger or a Circle Island tour customer, if they're not if, there, if there's not some product that you're trying to sell already in the marketplace, it's really tough to try to get a new product in the marketplace. So I looked at, you know, okay, where are people stopping for lunch? And, and uh, is the lunch included or not included? Because sometimes it's not included. Because if, if, if we want to, and then, and then what this, this dole stop was, is they'd have a 20-minute uh, train ride. And so when you look at the brochure or, or there, the 20-minute train ride retailed for, you know, a while ago was nine bucks. And so, so we said, okay, $9 is included. You discount the commission on that, and it was about seven bucks. And so we said, okay, if we want to attract this Circle Island Tour company, Roberts, if we want to have Roberts stop at our place rather than Dole, we're going to produce a 20-minute tour for $7, and so we can compete purely on quality, we don't have to create a new market. So if you want to create a new market, it's a really difficult thing, and it's a long thing. And so instead of creating a new market, we created a 20-minute $7 tour, which actually goes up to Paimi Na'au Ao and all of that. And then, uh, and then and so we're competing on quality. We think our tour is better than Dole's tour. And then we can also provide a place that they can eat lunch, where luckily, on the Circle Island tour route where it's time for lunch. So not only did we get that $7, but we got the lunch spend that was not included. And uh, because, you know, if the, you know, so you really analyzing, analyzing the market of, uh, of what are they doing, you know, you know, what do they like to do? So there's, two, you know, the, the channel and the customer profile are related, but not exactly the same. Does that make sense? On the east. I'm, I'm sorry, on the east. Can you let them know how long it takes for them to come from Honolulu, which is where that's the first port of call, yeah. to you? Because how long does it take for them to get to you and then back in you? Yeah, again, depends on, again, we segment, we profile every customer. The Circle Island tour is just, they get in a bus in Waikiki and they're gonna go around the island. And, and, and so we're about halfway around the island. And so that's just lucky. Um, we also have cruise ship business, and the cruise ship business hits us on Saturday morning. So the cruise ships leave, because there's only one cruise ship in Hawaii, so you know it always hits us on Saturday morning. It's what they call a pre-cruise option. So we're not, since the cruise embarks and debarks on Oahu, we're not the same as Gisborne. Nobody goes to Gisborne to get on the cruise ship. They're going through Gisborne. And so for us, it's a pre-option. And so we'll get 150 people on a Saturday that come directly to Kualoa. But, uh, but to answer your question, we're an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, depending on traffic, away from Waikiki, and half an hour to 45 minutes away from Honolulu Harbor. So those are all relevant to you know, how to market. Uh, but, but it's an you know, interesting dynamic, yeah. Financially, but also the form of the one that you would say uh, 
Uh, good question. Um, we keep 18 different P&Ls. So we keep a profit and loss statement for 18 different departments, whether it's education, retail, food and beverage, uh, tours, which we lump a lot of tours together, horses, ATVs, zip line, agriculture, you know, livestock is different from aquaculture and all that kind of stuff. So the most lucrative is probably one tour, which is the ranch and movie site tour, which goes to Ka'ava Valley, which does 500 people a day. And uh, it's only, but it's, it's kind of like, there's two different analogies on that. If you've got a family and six kids, you're not choosing which of the six kids you like because they all make up your family. And for us, everything makes up our, our product line. And, and so unless one is losing significant money, we're, we're not gonna get rid of it uh, because they all add to the whole. Um, so, and another analogy is uh, the landscape in a hotel. That never makes anybody any money because you sink money into the landscaper, but without the landscape, you wouldn't have the same experience. So you have to support the landscape. And so that's what, when we look at stewardship and, and on honestly, in the last fiscal year, we lost close to a million dollars in agriculture, uh, if you just look at the revenue and the expenses. Uh, but that's money well spent because we, it, it, you know, we're, our, our margins, our pro, you know, overall uh, profit margins are, are good because we have so much visitors. And part of the value the visitors get is, look at this, they're making a piggery, they got chickens, they got, you know, they got everything in it. And not only do they have everything, but it looks really good. So we feel good because we're, we're being really good stewards of the property and our customers feel good because we're being really good stewards. And we don't want to continue losing a lot of money on that, but it costs money. Agriculture is, agriculture is really tough. So that's why I had mentioned the value added is our, is our goal towards profitability when it comes to ag purely by itself. And so our whole ag team wants to make money on some of these tours, we're allocating revenue out of a tour to the ag because they're actually doing, you know, some of the farmers in there talking about the ag and things like that. So we want to allocate expenses and revenues properly so that we can create an accurate picture of everything. So, so like when we end up selling a, a, a meal that's all produced on the property, we'll probably allocate 50 bucks to ag, even though the product, if you were to buy it at Safeway, it might be 17 bucks, but you know, we're going to allocate a big portion of it because that's the value that we we're going to We think it's it's a it's, it's the right value So I don't know if that answers your question not not as much. We're in a very rural community um, and, and we're one of the largest employers on the whole windward coast so uh, we've we've we take surveys of our employees once in a while and 68% I think identify themselves as part Hawaiian. And, and uh, so it's a large, large percentage identify themselves as that. And, uh, and, um, but again, since we're a, a relatively large employer in a rural community and with a quote unquote good reputation, we get to choose. So again, with 1400 applicants for, you know, you know we're, we're, we're turning away a lot of people. But on top of that, we have a pretty healthy uh, employee training program. And uh, so we have 
you know, every employee goes through a three-day training no matter what uh, department they're in. And then we have a Hawaiian cultural resources manager. We have guest services manager. And, and, and we try to really put a lot of emphasis on training. And then, and then you know, we don't always succeed. But more often than not, we succeed. And if you've got an employee who's not very good, you let them go because our reputation is based on our employees. But again, we're more fortunate than good in that because, you know, even though there were our, our biggest impediment to growth right now is not enough employees. We could probably hire 20 more people today and just it would be perfect. <laughs> but um, but anyway, it's a, the challenge is getting your the hiring process. You know, I don't know what the uh, unemployment is and what the what the level, but I believe personally that if people feel like you care about them and you invest in them, they'll rise to the occasion if they have it within them. But not everybody's going to, you know, aloha is, I think we all know what aloha is. Uh, if you don't have aloha, you shouldn't be in guest services. <laughs> you, know? you know, if you're just an angry person who is, is a kind of a victim and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to, you know, treat other people well if you're not feeling good about yourself, yeah. I've got a question. So I, I looked up the Hawaiian tourism, I think it was something like six million per annum? Nine. Nine. No. nine. So what are you sort of, what percentage are you picking up of that? Uh, again, the, we just oh, no. broke nine million for Hawaii in general. Uh, uh, our island is about five and a half million. And if we're doing just over 500,000, I guess yeah, we're, I we're close 10%. to 10%. Yeah. Are you looking to grow that? We are. We're in the process of uh, completing what we call, what the city calls uh, an environmental assessment right now. So we're, we want to build more facilities to accommodate our existing growth. And, and, you know, if we can get up to, we, we think we, carrying capacity is an issue. Uh, we know it's an issue. We don't want to exceed that. But we'd like to be the ones in charge of <laughs> determining that instead of the city and county of Honolulu. Um, but we don't think we could just continue to grow and grow and grow. I think we heard that yeah, at Tepuya yeah, yesterday. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and so, um, you know, I think we could probably add another 100,000 or so and, uh, yeah. uh, without, without yep. damaging the experience or the resource. Okay, okay. <laughs> we have looked at yeah, supporting the... our model. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very, very good question. I think our situation is way different. Um, we're a, still a very closely held family company, uh, which means there's not very many shareholders. Uh, but the world, and again, this is my economist uh, training, really is... is Economics drives everything. It doesn't matter who you work for, if it's a government, if it's a union, if it's a private enterprise, everybody retires. And usually, in our country, Social Security is the government pension. It's not going to cover your expenses. And so you need to have something else. In unions, they have the pension fund. We have a 401k, which is you know, where you know, the employee does the investing. We actually match 100% of your investment up to 5% of your income. And so, you know, if you put in 10,000 bucks a year, we'll put in 10,000 bucks a year for the retirement. So, 
Um, where was I going with that? Uh, oh, the, 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 uh, uh, the expectation of return. Uh, our company never paid a dividend until, you know, long after I took over, but everything changes, uh, you know. So one, one, one big threat I saw to our, our continuity was, to, was, was, was somebody who owned a relatively large asset with zero return because everybody got the, everybody's got their own personal circumstance and if on paper it says, oh, I own a million dollars or whatever it is and I'm getting zero, there's going to be an agitation to change. You know, hey, I, if I own a million bucks, I, you know, the bank tells me I can get 3% return. And so that was one of my personal kind of mandates to myself is I need to try to grow the company so that a shareholder would get a reasonable return so they wouldn't agitate for change. And, you know, because the, for us, the agitation for change is I want to sell you know, to somebody so I can take that money and put it in the bank and get a return. So that was a threat that I perceived might occur. It never did occur, but it was a threat that I perceived might occur. And so that was, because it was easy, especially for family that has this for 100 and now it's 168 years, to say, we don't want other people in our neighborhood. This is fun. I love it. Look at how beautiful it is. And so having, you know, people wander through the places, you know, wasn't as, you know, it, just, it was a change that was difficult to go through, but the alternative was, do we sell it and do we develop it and all of that? And, uh, and so, so that's one of the reasons for, for the growth. Uh, um, so, and, and so the answer is yes, we do, uh, we, we've never had that, uh, that agitation, but I think we preempted it by trying to grow the business before the, the agitation occurred. And that's one of the other things that we do is now, now that we're, we're more financially able, we bring all of our family back twice a year to get together. Uh, one, so that we can get them to get loyal to the land. They already are, but keep them, you know, because you never can... Uh, overdo that kind of thing, you know, so we get everybody back at least once, well, at least once a year to have an annual retreat and so they can experience the land, again, you know, renew those kind of ties to the land, learn about the business, but also develop relationships with each other. And so we've spent a conscious effort to have things where you either have fun or, or do something where that if you're living in Vermont and he's living in, in California and you only see each other once a year, you want to make them appreciate each other, you know, you know, strengthen the relationship. So it's kind of like our thing that I was talking about, the relationships between the guest to the guide, the guide, the, the guest to the guest, and the, and, the, and the guest to the land. Same thing we look at in terms of uh, uh, our, our, our shareholders, is we want them to have a relationship with the land, a relationship with each other, and a relationship with a business, so they understand it from a, from a rational point of view. And now we, we do two retreats a year and we'll go to the mainland someplace. Uh, so, but so to answer your question, yes. Uh, they do now expect, since they, they have expected, so now the burden is on us to keep it going. And, and that's, a, that's a responsibility I completely accept because it's legitimate from their side. Yours is a whole different thing if you have, uh, and I think, uh, you know, the, 
you know, if, if somebody hasn't gotten a return and the national model is not there, uh, you know, because you've got EWI all over the place and you've got a lot of assets and you've got stuff, I don't know what the national model is, but it's, under, it's always worthwhile to understand what the models are. And uh, if 90% of the EWI are returning cash to their, <laughs> their members and you're not, you might have a problem. But if none of them are, and, and, you know, then, then you don't need to. But I don't know. I, I don't want to opine on <laughs> that. And what I would recommend if it's, uh, <clears throat> is if you've got beneficiaries who are either confused or not understanding or disagreeing with the goals and objectives, part of the deal is clarifying the goals and objectives and communicating those clearly. And it gets back to the strategic plan process is, is if part of the strategic plan is to grow the assets to the point where you can distribute, then they can see a pathway to one thing that they want. Another one is to grow the assets and improve healthcare or whatever it is. But if, if, you, if you take the time to develop a strategic plan that, is, that is, gets buy-in, in our case it was the board and the shareholders and management, but in your case, if, if you go through that process of saying, you know, then, then if you're not doing it right now effectively, at least that's the goal. You know, you, 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 you set a benchmark that here's what we're working for or towards, but a lot of times constituents will agitate for change in management if, they, if there's no clear, clear goals. And so I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much for bringing us back and getting grounded. <laughs> so again, we're, we've got this land that's you know, very culturally important. We got a business. And part of our challenge is to merge the two in a way that we call pono. And, uh, and so we think the business is extremely necessary in order to preserve the land. And so how do we integrate uh, culturally appropriate things that make sense from all angles? And so when we are we're looking at, uh, prior to me joining Lua, when we were looking at uh, you know, part of our facilities expansion, you know, part of the market is not the FIT, which is free and independent traveler that wants to go do an activity or a tour. Part of the market is the group business, whether it's weddings, and I didn't mention, but we do 400 weddings. We're we'll, we already booked 400 weddings for this year. Um, and the group market, and we, so there's, we've got a big group business, uh, whether it's meetings or this or that or the other thing. And so we wanted to build a, a, another meeting facility. And then after, uh, Danny's dad and Olohe, you know, brought me down here and, and exposed me to the, uh, the whole Marai concept, overlay that into the, 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 the importance in the, uh, of Kualoa. And not only is it just a sacred area, I do believe, kind of, that's why I mentioned the Kahahana thing about you can't give away Kualoa. You know, there's, in, in modern times, I think our, our community, I mean, I, I answer to the land and the Tupuna who are deceased, but also the present day community, they do look at us as, you know, we need to, we need to have it, all the connections to everything. And so when I learned about the Marai, it just seemed like this is, this is right. And because uh, it does connect the legacy of the, uh, the, the area to 
uh, you know, our ancient culture and also connects with the Maori who are our cousins and my, my own ancestry, but I, I, I can't run the company because of my ancestry. I've got to try to balance it, everything, everything. And then, uh, and then, and it really, it's a, it's, it's not going to be a marae in this sense that's, that's, it's this community and this, these families because Kualoa is a little different and the area is 2,000 feet from the, uh, from the nearest road. And uh, so you can't just drive up there. But it's, uh, uh, as, as we discussed with, uh, with uh, Dennis Hansen and Alohi and, and, uh, and actually Toby Curtis and, and uh, a lot of other people that sanctioned it, um, it's a ceremonial marae. It's a, it's a marae where dignitaries from around the Pacific can come, where they can feel, I think you had said, this is, this is me. This is, uh, this is who I am, and I'm honoring you. We're honoring this place. We're honoring the cosmos, and we're honoring God, and we're honoring uh, 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 everything. And, and it's, the, it's the place, it's the right place for it. So I guess when I thought of it uh, in, in terms of their input and, and our goals and our objectives, I just thought this is, this is the, this is Pono, this is right. Actually, I do. I, I, I don't think dividends is just one thing you can do with surplus cash. And so, so at the end of the year, when we look at it and, you know, we make X amount of money in the old days, 35% went to the federal government. That's the federal income tax. Our pre current president dropped that to 21%. Well, it's good. We're going to, we actually going to give an across the board raise to every employee and, you know, and, and then, but a big portion of our after-tax uh, profits go right back into the land. And, and, and uh, you know, so you invest in your employees, the land, and in, in a private business, uh, you know, whether you're Coca-Cola or Boeing or Kualoa Ranch, you know, the expectation is a certain amount is going to go back to the shareholder. Otherwise, they'll sell your stock and it'll go down. Or in our case, they'll agitate the sell to some Chinese guy or whatever. And so... In a private business, that's just what you do with surplus cash. But generally speaking, your income needs to exceed your expenses, otherwise you're not sustainable. And, and so as long as you're sustainable, just invest back in the, uh, either your beneficiaries or the land to enhance your ability to be more sustainable in the future. And uh, so... No, no, I, I agree. I, uh, again, the private business model, private enterprise, that's, that's the way it goes. But in Hawaii and across the world, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, not-for-profit models, but also uh, from the standpoint of successful business, whether you're Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or whoever, a lot of them take some of those, you know, bottom-line profits and just turn them into a foundation. And, uh, and foundations you know, have favorable tax treatments. And actually, we started a foundation, not that we're wildly successful because we're still on the, on the growth thing, but, uh, but we started a foundation and actually put our seventh generation, I'm part of the sixth generation, and uh, we put our seventh generation in charge because we just wanted to, you know, to establish the whole value system of gratitude and, and community responsibility. And, uh, and so... You know, I could easily administer the whole thing, but, you know, we'd get only part of the goals accomplished. And so we, we put the seventh generation in charge uh, because we want them to 
feel and understand that, okay, it's their kuleana. And, uh, and we've actually started to rotate some of the seventh generation on our board of directors, uh, just so they understand that responsibility too. So, you know, because, you know, nobody lives forever and you've got to start preparing. So answers, I hope uh, that as there are kind, all kinds of models out there uh, under the tax and other structures to accomplish a community benefit. And, uh, and, um, uh, and, and most companies and, and the bigger you are, I mean, our big banks are, are huge philanthropic organizations, philanthropic organizations. And, you know, we're philanthropic to the extent that we think is appropriate and reasonable, but we set up this foundation so that we can go one step further. And the philanthropy not only is, uh, is, is training the next generation, but it's not dependent on this year's profitability. We hope to bring the, the, the because everything else, there's other strategies out there. What happens if there's another big, huge economic crisis? Well, that's a whole other set of circumstances that we've got to deal with. And so our foundation is, is, is set up so that we, hopefully, that if there's a hiccup in the business, our, our giving and our, our community contribution would continue, so. Oh, kia ora, kia ora, yeah, yeah. And uh, once you once you get that marae, uh, uh, kia ora, boy, that's going to go another level. Yeah, when you get the Tupapaku coming up the hill at the same time as the Koreans on the bus. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's going to be fun, eh? Oh, no, 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 it's all good, it's all good. Oh, mostly. Well, look, if there's no more, no more questions, I think, um, man, that has been... Incredibly informative, uh, Kioni. Thank you for sharing. It's oh, such a deep level too. I mean, you know, you, I was just so appreciate you sort of revealing sort of the mechanisms uh, and uh, and the trials as well, the honesty and you know, not everything works, but you have a go at it and uh, you learn something from it. And I think that's one of the uh, the threads in this uh, kitty is that you're willing to have a go trial something and get learn something out of it uh, it doesn't always work so you take that on and and, and you don't stop trying eh? I mean I think Never that's stopped. part of the message here is um, keep pushing keep exploring and um, certainly um, uh, we're hoping um, Alohi has invited a, a delegation from Aotearoa through Māori initiatives uh, to come across um, so I hope maybe there's an opportunity for us to mm -hmm. come up to Kualua and maybe bring some up and hang out and show them around yeah, oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, it is incredible. It is incredible, especially, what was the first movie I said I saw? It was Platoon. I recognised the, the hunch and the... Platoon wasn't there. <laughs> was it not there? No. Oh, something like that. Oh, we need to write a book. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. project number 182. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. fantastic. No, we do need a story. It's a fascinating story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, uh, thank you, Kiani. Okay, thank absolutely. you very much for your time today, brother. Yeah, good luck. Fantastic. Oh, we'll just take a break for a minute and then we'll come back.